0: Welcome to the GateWorld Podcast.
1: Welcome, everyone, to episode number 146 of the GateWorld Podcast. I'm Darren. And I'm Adam. And this is the show where two nerds talk about Stargate. Uh, We're really excited about this one. Stargate Origins is done. The first season, what might end up being the first season of an ongoing web series, has wrapped up. We've seen the whole story now. Adam, in our last podcast, we decided to limit ourselves to the first half of Origins, just episodes one through five. Now we get to talk about the rest of the story.
0: Yeah, it's exciting, but it's a little strange because for so long we've been leading up to this. And now all of a sudden, I mean, it's not like a 13 or 20 episode TV series. All of a sudden it's just done. It's like, oh, wow, there's... A new Stargate kid on the block, essentially. So it'll be nice to discuss it as a whole because I know a lot of people were struggling to digest certain chunks of it and how it will all add up. So, like, this is where we really get to sit down and look at what does this look like and how does it fit into the Stargate legacy.
1: Yeah, it was a long time with no new Stargate out there. Stargate Universe went off the air in May of 2011. And then it was July of 2017 before we got the announcement that Origins was coming. So there was this kind of dry spell, and then there was months of build up and anticipation for Origins, and what was it going to be like? And it streamed on StargateCommand.co for about a month, and now it's over. Yeah,
0: and it's different because there's no real precedent for releasing a new Stargate series on its own platform or digitally or in this format, so it's like you kind of have to tear up the rule book and just experience it differently than you ever have before.
1: Well, there's uh, lots to talk about. There's lots uh, in the second half of the story that I'm excited for us to get to. There's also some news to cover briefly before we jump into the main discussion. Stargate Origins-related news... Uh, Of course, you can still go to StargateCommand.co. The first three episodes, they're 10-minute episodes. The first three out of 10 are free. And then you can sign up for an all-access pass if you want to watch the whole thing. Now, there were some grumblings and complaints, and I think justifiably so, that the all-access pass is not available everywhere. It was available in the U.S., the U.K., Canada, Germany, Australia, New Zealand. That's lots of other places in the world where Stargate fans couldn't watch this, but now we're glad to report that they will be able to see it soon. Stargate Origins is is going to get a feature cut, so they're going to take those 10 episodes, they're going to squish them all together so that it plays as one big movie, one big story. And then the final cut is going to be available for sale digitally worldwide. Most places where you couldn't see it before, uh, like France and Italy and Japan and other places, it'll be available starting this summer.
0: Right. And that's exciting because I think part of the critique of the show wasn't even about the material itself. It was just the frustration and lament that it was only available to certain, you know, segments of Stargate fandom. And you have entire countries like France who are known for their very passionate fandoms. And then I think they felt kind of left out. So this is really a chance to not only breach any barriers, but also see it laid out in a feature format because it is 10, 10 minute episodes, which adds up to about a feature film runtime. So it's going to be nice Nice to see it from start to finish more seamlessly.
1: Yeah, it was a little bit frustrating, I have to admit, to watch it in chunks. Yeah. When I finally sat down to watch it with my wife, we waited until the entire thing was complete, right? I had seen the bits and pieces as it had been released, but uh, it was all finished. It was all done. We just watched it straight through. So we watched it more or less as a movie. The feature cut's going to be really great, really handy for people to be able to do that and see the whole story. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is a story that you have to watch all at once, right? Because it was it was streaming for over the course of about a month. And all through that, we continue to see fans kind of grumbling about, well, Catherine doesn't go through the Stargate. Catherine's not supposed to have ever seen the Stargate right. dialed before. We kept saying, you've got to see the end. You've got to see the end. Absolutely. There is an explanation for this. You may or may not like the explanation, uh, but you, you have to see the end to understand why this still fits into canon. So watch it all at a run. That's my advice. Totally. So Adam, how you been? Tell us a little bit about what else you've been working on uh, at GateWorld these days. Yeah. There's a lot going on.
0: There is a lot. I've been doing a couple pieces. One which you know, isn't out at the time we're recording it, but probably will be around the release of the podcast about Stargate's return, and you know what this means for the franchise. What are the options going forward? What forms are we going to see the show take on in terms of you know web series, TV, movies? I also want to do a column uh, under the Stargate's Return banner that covers like a filmmaker wish list, which you and I talked about. like Who do we want to see that we haven't seen before take on Stargate? Um, So just a lot of cool stuff that kind of adds to the experience and discussion of Origins. I've also been doing a couple interviews. I interviewed uh, Mark Ilvidson the writer, and Daniel Rashid, who played a young Kasuf. And I'm looking to do a couple more Origins interviews over the next few weeks to uh, keep the content rolling out and keep the hype up.
1: That's great. But it's really exciting for me, uh, having been running the website for so long to see new interviews coming in. Right. New Stargate means (laughs) new actors and new directors and writers for us to go and talk to and get the kind of inside scoop. So I spent a lot of time recently editing your Daniel Rashid interview, which is up on GateWorld.net now. That was a lot of fun. He's a fun guy. Yeah, he, he was
0: just like brimming with excitement during the interview. You could I could kind of feel the energy and the passion he had to talk about Stargate. And it's fun to think, you know, these people just a year ago were, you know, they're, they're actors. They're just working and they get this and they kind of get ushered into a family of sorts, a weird, dysfunctional, yet eclectic and, and passionate family. Uh, And so I think to see people go on that discovery, I mean, you know, I've been following Stargate for over a decade, but these people, they might have only heard of the franchise and now they're in the thick of it. Uh, So it's a mix of getting to see that new generation be a part of Stargate and also, like you said, get the inside scoop.
1: Yeah, well, you're doing great. Tell us about the the legacy series a little bit more. You've been working on this for it's been going, I think, a couple of years (laughs) on the slow train, mostly because of me, mostly because I'm not getting around to to getting them uh, edited and published. But this was when you first came to GateWorld. This was one of the first things that you brought as a contributor.
0: Yeah, yeah. So towards the end of high school, as I was about to transition to film school and was wrapping up on my really adolescent experience, I was realizing how much Stargate played a part in it. And I wanted to kind of document that and and share that passion. So I shot a video, and it was last semester of high school, uh, for GateWorld that was supposed to kick off the column. And that's actually up. It's uploaded like four years ago, but it's up there. And I had started to write some entries, and it wasn't just you, Darren. What happened was it just it was empty. After SGU went off air, you know, after a year or two, it just kind of, any news stopped pouring in that between... I guess the feature news about the Dean Devlin's movie came in 2014, but like, you know, 2013, 2014, there just wasn't much conversation going. So that kind of got pushed by the wayside. But last summer with the uh, announcement of Origins, you know, I sent you a message that said, can I finish this column? And you're like, yeah, dude, go for it. So Yeah, let's
1: kickstart it again.
0: uh, The video is an introduction. I'm doing a column that's examining three episodes from each Stargate series picking very seminal or important or personally impactful episodes and, and kind of examining why after all these years they hold up. And so right now I'm almost done with Atlantis. Uh, the last Atlantis episode I'm going to do is called Broken Ties in season five, which oh, cool. is a Ronin-centric story. Um, and I'm thinking about doing a bonus round for Vegas from season five as well because it's just such a slick and stylish episode.
1: Good, good. So there's going to be about 10 of these. Yeah. And yeah. then the Legacy series will wrap up. You're obviously working on other things for Gate World as well. These are a lot of fun to read. I encourage people to go and read them. I've been really interested in the specific episodes that you've been choosing because some of them are, right, some of the big episodes that are beloved by fans worldwide, they're kind of obvious, like Heroes. Right. Heroes is really commonly cited as as one of Stargate's very best episodes uh, by by fans and by the cast and crew alike. But then you, you've you also chosen some of these kind of, of smaller, a little bit more out of the way, less less talked about episodes like Childhood's End yeah. from the first season of Atlantis. I just, I'm fascinated by the episodes that you pick as they've impacted you.
0: Right. I've tried to mix it between, you know, greatest hits and underrated gems, if that makes sense. I mean, I was rewatching Atlantis last, I guess it was last fall, season one, and I saw Childhood's End and I just kind of stopped in my tracks and was like, darn, this is really good. Like, this is a great episode. And I kind of want to capture that because, you know, I do have Midway and Heroes and I do some of the real, real well-known episodes. But there are some that like with, you know, 360 plus episodes of television, some get lost in the mix. And part of the purpose of the Legacy series is to bring them back into the discussion in the limelight and say, you know, why are these so impactful and, and maybe why have they been forgotten? That's great. So uh, for people who have been visiting GateWorld and and following social media accounts, you'll realize that content is starting to pop up on places other than the website. And largely so far, that has been Darren's initiative. So Darren, tell us what you're doing with GateWorld on, on YouTube and with a new video format.
1: We're basically relaunching GateWorld's presence on YouTube. Of course, we've, we've had a channel on YouTube for a long time. Uh, when we relaunched the site last summer, it was a logical place to put some of our older video content. We have lots and lots of video interviews and some other special features that David did. You know, the site's been around for a long time. And uh, when we, we did these old videos, when we started GateWorld, when we were doing kind of interviews and news coverage and such, YouTube wasn't a thing. That's how long GateWorld's been around. GateWorld's been around longer than YouTube. Social media wasn't a thing yet. So we're kind of entering into this new era of Stargate. We have Origins going. Hopefully we're going to get a fourth series one of these days. And so it makes sense for GateWorld to kind of continue to grow with the Internet. And there's a ton of people on YouTube. I spend a ton of time there watching content. A lot of you youngsters today watch more YouTube than you do watch television.
0: Yeah, and that's, it's just a shift of how people consume media and content. And you and I have had discussions about how a new form for ideas is actually the visual medium. It's not that hard to make a video anymore, even just a very, very, very basic video. So... This kind of platform has been um, democratized for people. You don't have to have a studio set up or these resources. So I'm seeing video essays and even just people taking their iPhone and pointing it at their face and giving their review or sharing something. And you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people will watch it if it's good. You know, I mean, if it says something they want to hear or they're interested in. So I just think it's like a really cool market. And we both talked about that um, just for sharing ideas and and creating a discussion, also creating some cool visuals that that honor the show and, and the fandom around it. I'm excited to contribute at some point. I know I'm going to start working on some video essays as well. And we're also probably just want to leave it open that we're still looking for contributors, I believe. So if people have ideas or something they're very passionate about, I mean, that's how I got on board GateWorld. I I messaged Darren and say, hey, look, I have something I really want to say and I want to do a column. Will you let me? And we discussed and hashed it out. And here I am today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's a new way for us to uh, hopefully reach more Stargate fans who aren't necessarily coming to the website and a new way to to create new content. It's video content. We have lots of ideas for stuff that we'll do on YouTube. It's kind of in an experimental phase right now. And, and what I did with the first one was I did a little video essay. It's, it's under seven minutes and it's just getting into this question of whether or not I think there's going to be a fourth series. Aside from Stargate Infinity, the animated show that shall not be named. <laughs> and aside from Stargate Origins, which is obviously a, a kind of a short form web series, is the time right for MGM to give us a full, you know, fully budgeted, full length television series? So that one, I kind of put it out there as a trial balloon. It was my first video, just kind of see what it takes to make, if people respond to it. And boy, people responded to it.
0: It blew my mind. I mean, I was even telling you that it was going to be received well, but this kind of surpassed even my highest expectations. And even with, you know, the Origins trailers that came out on the official Stargate account, I mean, they racked up a view count that took the trailers from Stargate universe or Atlantis, you know, a decade to achieve or five or six years to get up to like half a million views. And it did that in a couple days. So, I mean, you have, I just said the people are hungry out there for more Stargate and hungry out there for visual content. And that's something that I think fans should be contributing to and should be adding to the discussion.
1: Yeah. So we should also say if you are listening to this podcast on your iPhone or uh, one of the kind of more traditional routes, the podcast is something that's going to live on YouTube as well. So you'll still be able to get the GateWorld podcast through your, your subscription service, through your favorite podcast platform, but there'll also be a video version of it up on YouTube for people. The main discussion. Once again, our main discussion topic today is Stargate Origins. We're going to talk about the entire thing. Our last podcast, we limited ourselves to the, the setup. The first five episodes are Brucka shows up with his Nazi posse, takes over, dials the Stargate, takes Langford through, and then Catherine goes and gets Beale and Wasif in episode three. They dial the gate and go through. We meet a set, the Goa'uld, who's ruling the planet Abydos. Uh, We've got the fight with Sir Ket in Episode 4. And then at the end of that, we meet Kasuf. And we're off and running with Kasuf in Episode 5. So that's all kind of set up for the story. Um, Now we get to talk about everything that happens next, how it pays off, and how it's going to connect up to the Stargate movie and sort of set the stage. Episode 10 especially is putting a lot of the pieces on the chessboard to get ready for the feature film. So, Adam, what are your overall impressions of Stargate Origins now that you've seen the whole thing finished?
0: It feels whole. I think that's one of the things that I realized at the end. It's like, however flawed or however it goes about in accomplishing these story threads, at the end of the day, it feels in some classical sense, like you would feel walking out of an older Stargate episode or Indiana Jones, or it's like, I've been on a complete adventure. I've seen a whole story. Yeah. And especially in the second half, we didn't get to discuss this in last podcast, but it gets pretty mythologically heavy, which is a good thing. I mean, one of the common comments I've seen across a lot of different, you know, fan sites or social media is like fans are saying you got to get to like the last three episodes because it feels like true Stargate, you know, it took some time to get there and it did take some setup, but I think with the, the Gold and with Ra and with the Nazis, it just, and especially the mythology of, of the gate and of Nakwada and the, the power that comes with that, it, it felt like Stargate and it, and it just picked up steam and gotten to its own right towards the end yeah. of its 10 episode run.
1: Yeah, it it picks up steam is a good way to talk about it. It does feel to me, having watched it now a few times, both in its totality and in individual episodes, it feels like it's like a rock rolling downhill (laughs) and it takes a while to get going. But once it gets going, man, get out of the way. Yeah, because it's got a story to tell. I'm glad that they made the decision to release the episodes in batches. And so they did They did yeah. three all at once, and then they did two, and then the next week they did two. And then the last three episodes, the finale, it's basically the final act of this story. They released it all at once. Right. I think that was a really good idea.
0: This actually brings an interesting discussion topic in the limelight, and that is binge-watching. When this is watched straight through, as you would with a feature cut, or even if you're on the site and just clicking the next episode as soon as the credits hit, it feels very different than watching three and then two and then three. I feel like people might be more receptive to the feature cut just in the future. And this yeah. also goes for past shows. I mean, Stargate Universe, when it came out, a lot of the first half of the first season was just set up. That was a common complaint. It's like, I have to, I have to wait week after week after week for more setup. The thing is, when you go and binge watch that show on Netflix or Stargate Command, the setup goes by a lot faster than you would remember. But when it's airing periodically, people's attention can wane and people can get frustrated. So that's just something that's interesting to see across both a digital series and a TV show. And in both cases, it's better when you just get to sit down and watch it at your discretion and not
1: have to be stopped. There's some shows that just work better when you can binge them. There are a lot of shows that I watch weekly that man, I just lose patience with. But I know that when I go back and I watch them on Netflix or wherever, I can binge them. Yeah. Some of the tediousness of some of the storytelling or the the repetition you can forgive when you're able to rush on to the next episode, and it's a, it's a great one.
0: Because once you get the payoff, and again, I got to stress, some of the strongest episodes are in the back half of Stargate Origins. So when you watch it all together, your mind kind of erases any of the more unpleasant memories of exposition. And so, you, you know, you think, oh, it's not that bad. Like, why was I frustrated? You know, what was wrong with the first five episodes. And I think this is great because there's going to be a feature cut and that's going to erase probably a lot of the qualms I have with just pacing and having to divvy up the narrative.
1: Yeah. There's, there's a lot of stuff I think we probably talked about in the last podcast in the first few episodes that kind of bug me. Part of it is because the tone and the feel of origins is, is decidedly different, right? It's deliberately different. Sure. Some of the humor choices, right? Like the underwear gag with the (laughs) Nazi wearing Catherine's underpants that happened that's yeah that's let's not talk about that anymore but as we get past it as we get on as you said into the the mythology stuff as the story unfolds and we learn more about a set and and what she's doing what her agenda is and and how she relates to the people of Abydos and other elements like that people who have listened to the podcast for a long time probably know I'm a total mythology nerd I totally Ooh, geek out yeah. on these points of connection, right? Back to, to other shows, to other episodes. In the case of Origins, there's some connections to SG-1. A lot of the connection points are going to be to the feature film. Right, and this is a good
0: point to bring up. Darren has done a great job with episode analyses and, and show notes for Origins. So if you ever want to dive a bit deeper um, and recap just without having to go back and watch it, just on the website, there's an entry under the Origins tab on GateWorld. To your point about mythology... I think my favorite episode, which I really wanted to touch on in the back half, and probably my honestly my favorite of the show, was episode six. It was actually kind of like a bottle show, it was just in the... I don't know if it's a prison, but it's with, you know what I'm talking about? It's with uh, Professor Langford and with Bruka and a set. And he's explaining the Nazis and Hitler. You know, there's a lot of history in it. There's a lot of mythology about power. You know, is Bruca here on behest of Hitler? Is he here on his own mission as a zealot for power?
1: Yeah, this is the one where they show the movie. Yeah, yeah, the one where they, they show, show the, the movie. And, the Nazi propaganda film. Yeah,
0: yeah. And they say, you know, why would everyone follow that funny little man? And it, it's just like this interesting clash of cultures. It almost feels like one of the more realistic scenes of stargate because you know when when you come into contact with a foreign race your your first uh, prerogative is to try to communicate and to try to understand you know how can this be what is this relationship like you know who's in power uh what do we want from each other who are we that was interesting you know it's really good storytelling when you can just be in a single tiny room and still be thrilled and like yeah. that's i mean one of the best movies ever is 12 angry men and that's you know just pretty much happens in in a, a holding room So, yeah, I just like the fact that they weren't afraid to go, just go for it in terms of creative storytelling. And again, when you're on a small budget, you have to come up with stuff like this. Like, we don't have this big midpoint battle where, you know, the fleet sends its reinforcements and things are blowing up and there's this big space battle. It has to be more intimate.
1: You've got to be economical with the spaces that you use, with how many sets you're allowed to have, how much stuff you're allowed to put in those sets. It works really well, and it's really important for a set's character. I'm going to probably talk a lot about a set in this podcast because I find her such an interesting antagonist, and she's almost tragic. She, she's the hero of her own story, like any good villain. And it's in this episode, it's in episode six, where she's feeling out Brucka, and she's trying to figure out if he actually has something to offer her
0: then it gets a bit darker because Bruca kind of suggests maybe they can bring slaves back through the gate. I think we discussed this last podcast, like, are they going to bring prisoners of war? Are they going to bring people from concentration camps? And, you know, like I said, this very much ties into our history on Earth. And that's what makes it feel more real
1: and grounded. Yeah, the Nazi threat is, I mean, in science fiction, Nazis have kind of been done to death. This one works for me, I think, because it's set then and there. This is the late 1930s. On Earth, the Nazis really are a threat. Let's talk about
0: episode 7 and 8 and the lead-in into the final climax. This is something that I didn't connect with as well, because a lot of it was, again, very character-centric, but it was around the table. I don't know how you felt about that, you know, the, the dinner scene they have.
1: Yeah, so Kasuf takes our heroes to his outpost. This is an outpost called Nosdevli. And when I listened to your interview with Mark Ilvidson, one of the co-writers, I learned something that blew my mind (laughs) about the outpost of Nos Devly. Should we give that away now or should we make people – Listen to the no, we should, we
0: should go for it because it's, it's that interesting.
1: So it came up on screen, right? The name of the outpost. And, and as somebody who, who types up analysis and adds entries to the Omnipedia, I'm like, oh, great, they gave me the name of this place and they gave me the spelling of it so that I can put it in the Omnipedia later. Sure, Nas that's such an interesting name. I wonder if that's Egyptian, <laughs> it's not. It's it's Mark Ilvidson's name backwards,
0: right? I'm not kidding. I spent about the next five minutes of the interview trying to spell his name backward in my head while we were still talking. (laughs) I couldn't figure it out. I thought he was joking with me, but his name is spelled Ilvidson. So it's I L V E D S O N. Spelled backward, it's N-O-S-D-E-V-L-I. Yeah. So Nostevli. I mean, it's so cool. How can you not use it? That's
1: funny. Well, they stuck it in there. He he says in, in the interview, they stuck it in there kind of as a placeholder and thought they'd replace it later. But it apparently stuck. It sounded exotic enough that it stuck. <laughs> So we're in this, this camp. I was trying to make sense of Kasuf and his motivations, right? This, sure. this young version of Kasuf, played by Daniel Rashid, is so kind of happy-go-lucky. He smiles a lot. He's learning names. And then he leads them into the camp, and he disappears. And suddenly they're captured, and they're tied up, and people are pointing spears at them. I was trying to figure out Kasuf's motivation here. And if you read some of the mission files on Stargate Command, there's a little bit more, more information about what's going on in Kasuf's mind, right? Did he did he deliberately hand them over? Or, you know, why did he vanish? So I went after I'd watched it a few times, I went back to this the spot where they are running down the dunes into Nos Devli, and Kasuf yells out, Kisa, Kisa. Right. In his kind of happy go lucky voice. And it's going to be another episode or two before we learn that the word Kisa means danger.
0: Oh, interesting. So I think
1: what he's doing, yeah, he's, he's sort of without revealing to, to Catherine and Beale and Wasif, he's warning his people. These people just fought a set's warrior. So Kasuf and the Abadonians here, they're not under the sort of hard boot of oppression from Ra. Aset is a benevolent ruler uh, and they love her at least at least at first at least until we get to episode 8
0: right and with Kasuf, you do see a spirit that I think kind of reminds everyone of their younger self, when they're a little more optimistic and a, and a little more carefree and, and weren't so cynical by the hardened natures of, of adulthood. Uh, and I like that. And this spills into later episodes where Kasuf is talking with Catherine towards the end, and he just can't understand how the gods could possibly be evil. And Catherine's trying to say, you know, yeah. what, if, what if they're using their power in wrong ways? Well, the gods are always right, you know? And you see this kind of like almost happiness to be a servant which obviously gets beaten out of him and before the next time we see him in the original Stargate movie I just liked his charisma and his fresh perspective as a character
1: yeah and I love that scene that's in episode 9 and episode 9 ends up being maybe my favorite uh, in large part because that scene is so poignant that scene is so touching where she Catherine and Kasuf are on their way to the caves and they stop and they have this this really interesting little theological discussion. So that really resonated with me, uh, yeah. not, not in the way that Kasuf is just kind of being naive and isn't he sad that he believes in these things, but right, he says to her, in this really touching way, even if your gods don't walk among you on your planet, I believe that they're still there and they still love you. Right. That's pretty deep. It's emotional. (laughs) Yeah, it's really poignant. I think it's a a moment in Stargate Origins where it sort of pauses, takes a breath, and is elevated beyond itself.
0: I wish there were more moments like that, honestly. I think it it could have used that with Kasuf, it's funny that we talk about this. It reminded me of like if someone's in an abusive relationship and they're so in love and you're like, you got to snap out of it. And that's what Catherine's trying to play mm. the role of almost a friend. Like you see her start to care about Kasuf in a certain way. And and she wants to tell him not to wield this hammer of truth and break his heart, but she wants to like set him free. She wants to let him know he's worth more than just being uh, mining minerals
1: for a, a dictator essentially. Yeah. So but it's she's good. not in a place to liberate him. The way that Jack O'Neill and Daniel Jackson and their team would do for the people would help to sort of spark this uprising against Ra. Catherine, in this moment, is not in a position to do anything to, to help free Abydos from the Gould. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: It's more self survival. You know, find my father, get out alive.
1: Yeah. So I see what you mean by episode seven, which is when they're sitting around the table. She's looking in Broca's journal. They're, right. they're, uh smoking the peace pipe, they're getting to know the Abidonians better. It's sort of this calm before the storm. So if you look at origins in terms of a traditional three act structure, structure yeah. this is kind of the quiet moment before everything gets really loud again. And the action's gonna start in episode eight, which is when a set brings Brucka to Nostevoli and they have this fight scene.
0: I think it was nice to have a breather. I'm not sure I agree with the kind of breather we got. Two points specifically, which I know we probably should discuss. One, Yeah,
1: some stuff happens, doesn't it?
0: There's one scene where I still don't understand it. I feel like it's like a camera test and not an actual scene. I mean, this is really harsh, but I'm just going to go there. Where Catherine's sitting with a journal and she literally speaks out loud the entire plot and then says, oh my gosh, we have to stop Bruca. As if that thought, you know, as if Nazis roaming around on a planet, an alien planet is not a problem, you know, trying Mm. to broker deals with very dangerous alien race. It was one of those more confounding story choices. I think it's an example of if you look at that dinner scene next to episode six where there's, you know, this thrilling, really important discussion, and then there's a scene where Catherine's just reading a journal out loud and kind of recounting the plot in her head, it doesn't quite work. And if you pair that back to back with this kind of immediate hookup with Beale,
1: it's probably like my
0: low point of origins, to be honest.
1: She's she's kind of playing catch up, right? Because we've been watching all these scenes between Broca and a set. And we've been seeing how he's using her father to translate for him. Sure. And it's in this moment where she's just catching up with what's going on. What's Brookha doing here? Why is he using Professor Langford the way that he is? So she's kind of catching up with what the audience already knows in some ways.
0: Certainly. It comes very suddenly. And both that and her relationship with Beale is very sudden. If you're not paying attention or you don't fully sell it, it can throw you for a loop.
1: Yeah, and it does throw me for a loop the relationship with Beale and uh, where it goes after the dinner scene. Right. Let's, let's put it that way. It- <laughs> Into the tent. It kind of bugs me, you know, not because I'm a prude about this or anything, but because their relationship has been so caustic up until this point.
0: Yeah, I. Agree. He's
1: really impatient with her. He's really kind of chewing her out sometimes, and then they right they have a breather, they have a, a peace pipe, and I don't know if that moment is earned.
0: I think, And I talked to the writer, don't even know if this was Mark Ilveson, I don't even know if he'll make it into the interview, but he said, you know, when you're in a dangerous situation and you, you think you might die, you're way more likely to form emotional or physical bonds with someone around you as, as a means of comfort. So in that sense, it's very believable. However... Yeah, I think that's fair. From a character standpoint, I don't think it's earned. And the other thing is, I really do like Beale and Catherine individually. I don't like them together. As characters are great, as a couple, it just... It's a little uncomfortable, and like you said, probably not the healthiest dynamic. That said, it ended pretty quickly, and thankfully there wasn't a huge focus on that night in the tent that we shall yeah. say nothing of.
1: <laughs> you know, if we could just skip ahead to the to the end of Beale's story, I think it's it's really fitting. Not that I wanted to see him go out the way that he did, uh, or get killed off at all, but the way that they play it, the way that he is putting his life on the line, he gets Catherine and her father through the Stargate, he fights Sir Kett, And his last thoughts are of Catherine. You look at it, he dies with a smile on his face because he's thinking of Catherine as his final thoughts. And that that ending, I thought, was really sweet and kind of helped for me to cover over some of the, the previous relationship issues.
0: And this kind of leads us right into the final act of Origins and also a very interesting plot thread that never was, but was written. Beale actually lived in earlier drafts. And that's something Mark Ilvitz and the writer told me. Apparently wow. he had a kind of Humphrey Bogart ending, like a very classic send off, where he actually comes through the gate, but he's the one person who didn't have his memory wiped. So he just keeps it a secret. Wow. That was yeah. So basically that would have put someone on earth who's experienced this and is just simply keeping it a secret. And basically he can't be with Catherine because she can't know they went through the gate together. So he has to say goodbye to her and keep that adventure mm. where she forgets it. Now that's very charming. It does create some continuity mythology problems, which is why I think it got cut. I liked both options, honestly. I think his end in the existing show that we see is a very noble end, and it maybe can redeem any of the animosity or the fighting between the two. It's also sad because he's very charismatic and likable.
1: Yeah. So now this combat scene that takes place, it almost seems pointless why these two people fight and they both end up dead. But the purpose in the in the narrative is to sort of demonstrate the, the master's ability to command his or her slaves. Will your servant fight for you? Will your slave even fight to the death on your behalf? So we get uh, Stefan. Yeah, who is the surviving German soldier up against the big, muscular Abadonian whose character's name is Nubai.
0: That scene was good. I really liked it. I, I liked the setup as well because there are some stakes in it. It feels like a gladiator sport. You're watching people suffer for sport. It, it makes you kind of uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, it's supposed to make you uncomfortable and our characters are stuck hiding in the tent watching. Uh, they, they can't really burst out and do anything about it. Yeah. So Stefan ends up fighting dirty, throws dirt in the guy's eyes. The bigger part of that scene, which was kind of a
0: clever trick, was him shooting by wasn't really the emotional beat of the scene. It was Bruca shooting Stefan. Yeah. Uh, and that's when you realize to me there is no redemption in this man. Because there is a two there are two villains, so to speak, there's Bruca and the Nazis, and also Aset, and then you know the ever-looming presence of Ra you kind of wonder which villain is going to end up fighting for the Langfords and fighting with the heroes. You know, at some point you can't play all sides. For the first, you know, early part of the story, I was wondering if the Nazis or even Bruca would, you know, step up and and have a change of heart. When he shoots Stefan, you realize that guy's pure evil. There's no redemption. There's no way around that. It's just, he was going to slow us down that's how much he cares about human life yeah he doesn't even value his own people no and that's where i really it was a very impactful scene for me at least personally even though it's short and it kind of cultivated a real disdain for his character so i was very happy by the end in that regard
1: well it does something really important for the story which is it introduces conflict between ava and bruka yeah Ava's the propagandist with the camera. She's She's been really kind of friendly, almost flirty sometimes with Bruca. And here she's gutted because she's also been really nice and sweet with Stefan. And she witnesses her boss shoot this guy dead for no apparent reason other than to just say to a set, hey, you lost one of your guys. I'm going to show you. Fair is fair. We'll both lose one of our servants. And that ends up being pivotal, of course, in the conclusion of Brooke's story, because it's Ava who takes him out, because she's lost faith in him, because she's seen he's not just the Nazi version of evil, he's evil, evil.
0: Right. And then, you know, towards the end, he sheds the whole veneer of I serve Hitler, it's I serve myself, like, I'm going to become a god, you know, he gets power drunk and just becomes an egomaniac at that point. He doesn't value his own people. He has no allies because he has made this such an egotistical venture.
1: So what do you think of Ava being the one who took him out?
0: It's good. I like it. You know, it's a trope that's been done, but in this case, like I said earlier, some moments weren't earned. This one was earned. You know, the setup was adequate. Yeah. And you, you felt, like I said, you felt this hatred for Bruca, and you see people, you know, you see Ava, you know, starting to question his ability to lead. And so in that case, it's one of those, yeah, get him moments. Uh, and, it, and it gives yeah. to a
1: character. She thought they were on the same side, right? She thought that they were doing this ultimately for for the Fuhrer and for the German fatherland. Right. And so she sees Brooke as betrayed even that, that thing that she thought they had in common.
0: And for her, it's not uncommon for good people to get absorbed in the cult of personality, to, to gloss over the human atrocities and to just see this greater cause. You know, they're part of something greater than herself. And I think for her, she was a very traditional person who was serving the fatherland, so to speak. And that puts the two at odds.
1: So the Nazi story ends here. Yeah. Ava ends up moments later being shot down, presumably shot dead by Sir Kett. So this one storyline of of one set of villains, which is Brukka and the Nazis, comes to an end at the beginning of episode 10. And then the rest of this conclusion, this payoff, is all about a set. It's all about what she's doing and and her relationship with Ra. And ultimately, of course, Ra shows up and is going to drop the hammer.
0: And that's fun because it's, again, it's a legacy character. You're building up the anticipation. He's a presence that's mentioned but not seen, you know, very often. Kind of like, you know, the Emperor was in Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. It's this looming presence of, of evil, but it only comes at a very pivotal moment. What did you think of the whole ending sequence? Because In terms of plot and mythology and characters, especially Catherine Langford going forward, this is a really, really pivotal episode.
1: It happens really fast. I'm pretty happy with how it all sorts itself out uh, and how we kind of deal with the continuity issue with the the memory wipe, the sort of reset button that gets pushed. So Catherine and her father end up back on Earth, but they don't remember anything that's happened. Kasuf ends up on his way to Nagata to become the leader of the Abedonians. Basically, everybody else is dead.
0: Well, Wasif and the Abedonian he met because the whole thing is i can't find love and as someone who's gay in the 1930s it probably was very difficult to yeah. find someone in egypt in that cultural landscape so on one hand it's great that he finds someone and goes on this adventure and stays but at the same time it's almost a nihilistic pursuit
1: it's because tragic. he ends up yeah. in
0: the service of Ra. by the end he gets the armor donned and essentially gets turned into a brainwashed zombie for the cause
1: and I expected as they were going into that battle they have this kind of whispered conversation. I was expecting Wasif to tell Beel that when everybody goes home he's decided he's going to stay here. The fact that he does stay and he he's now this brainwashed soldier of Ra alongside of Motok the Abedonian. It's it's tragic. It's it's really right. sad.
0: And the same thing goes for Kasuf. you know, he, he's hypnotized by a set and she tasks him to lead the Abedonians. And that's something where it comes in contrast to Catherine's discussion with him, because Catherine says, you know, you can be set free, the gods, this is not right, the gods shouldn't be doing this to you, and she's trying to pull him out of this situation, and Auset sucks him back in the situation and kind of dooms his life to servitude, essentially. Uh, We know he has a happier ending with the Stargate movie and the Uprising, but there's, you know, a solid, what, five decades in between Origins and the Stargate movie. So it is kind of tragic for the people who stay behind.
1: Yeah. But the way that this all plays out is because of a set. It's because of her agenda. We've learned over the course of the story that she's not really an ordinary Gould. She's not an ordinary underling in the service of a system lord like Ra. She has a plan. She's been working towards it. She wants to foment rebellion. Right. The sword of rebellion and downfall of Ra that we'll eventually get in the movie. Right. By the end of it, she she knows Ra's here. I'm busted. She's not going to be able to accomplish this rebellion on her own. So she puts these memories in. Right. She tells Catherine subconsciously to go back, more or less raise an army when they're capable of standing up to Ra, come back with the amulet kind of leading their way.
0: That's a big deal in terms of setting up the movie, the, the original Stargate movie, because our understanding of Catherine Langford before Origins is that she was an archaeologist and that the Stargate was, was her and her, her father's project. You know, it, it was their life, but it was never under the guise or, or under the motivation that a foreign entity had tasked her with that. And she was acting under the command of, of Asset. It doesn't affect anything, but it adds some interesting layers to what we know of Catherine Langford as it's part of official canon at this point.
1: Yeah, this is this is interesting. At the end of Origins, I mean, one of the answers to fans who have complained about potential continuity issues it really is the story kind of doesn't matter. It doesn't matter in the sense that none of the characters who survive and who are a part of the later Stargate story remember any of it. So it adds this kind of layer. It adds this this additional texture that's background to the feature film. But, I mean, you don't have to see Origins to understand what's going on. It's just this additional angle of explanation.
0: Certainly. One of the interesting things I thought about Origins, if you look at it, it's kind of a bit of a tragedy. I mean, you have, you have Wasif... Yeah. You know who who ends up way worse than when he started the story. You have Beale who dies. You have Catherine and her father who are brainwashed and and forgotten. And then Asset is killed as well and her child. It's weird how the story did such a good job at the end of balancing these like really dark endpoints for characters and also the the epilogue with Catherine and her father and the British consulate who are talking. And you do get this weird sense of like a classical 1940s adventure that wraps up. Yeah. And, and so it's it's a mix of tones but for me it worked and that like I said one of my favorite things is that by the time the credits roll I have a smile on my face like yeah, that was fun works. like it had that bright kind of chipper and swashbuckling ending it was cool it was it was done well
1: Well, that was Stargate Origins. We really enjoyed the first season. Hopefully we hear word pretty soon that MGM wants to continue to tell origin stories and maybe there'll be a second season that's a totally different story with totally different characters.
0: I think this is a huge opportunity here, and I've written a bit about that in the columns, but a season of Origins doesn't have to be the be-all and end-all of Stargate. It's a basically a lower-budget feature film that's broken into 10 episodes. It's a good format. And right now, Origins is all we have. But if we have, you know, a new show or a movie or a miniseries, there's nothing to say that we can't have periodic seasons of Origins to explore different characters in the Stargate mythology. I mean, that's what Star Wars and other franchises are doing as they expand with, like, Solo or Rogue and like, I want yeah. to see that with Stargate. I want to see the kind of trilogy format where we have our bread and butter and that's moving the Stargate world and mythology for. And then I also want to see these peripheral projects that are emerging and giving fans a little bit extra in terms of, of visual storytelling and mythology.
1: Yeah, there's a lot that can be done. And I really hope that we potentially get both of them at the same time, that we get a fourth yeah. TV series that's moving the ball forward not necessarily a prequel but then we can go back in this web format and fill in some of the bits and pieces of the mythology with origins
0: so speaking of the fourth stargate series i'm very excited to talk about this in our next podcast so that's something we're going to break down where is stargate going to go from here when is it going to be back and how is it going to tap into mythology and where is it going to be set in the stargate universe darren do you have anything to add about that
1: I'm excited to have that conversation. You and I have both been we've been talking offline about where Stargate might go. And we've also both been writing feature pieces on GateWorld and and videos and other other sorts of things. Uh, This is kind of the moment to talk about it. Hopefully sometime this year, MGM is going to give us a clue as to where the franchise is going to go next. So, yeah, looking forward to that conversation in the next podcast. So once again, if you want to watch Stargate Origins in its entirety, you can go to stargatecommand.co. Starting this summer, you can look for the full feature cut to be sold wherever you buy digital movies and TV shows. And of course, you can go to gateworld.net for full coverage of Stargate Origins. We've got episode breakdowns, conversations. We'll have screen cap galleries, videos, and lots more. Well, Adam, thanks for being here again this week. Yeah, thanks for doing this. This is fun. So we'll see you next time for another installment of the GateWorld Podcast.